In today's episode of Musings with Mortals, I talk with my dear friend Juan Casian. Juan is a programmer, a teacher, a businessman, and a fine thinker. Juan is unique in that even while working on highly technical projects, he always seems to understand the true implications of the work on both himself and those impacted by it. The company he co-founded, Atrato, has been growing rapidly and recently joined Y Combinator. Based out of Guadalajara, Mexico, Atrato is the affirm for Latin America, letting consumers pay for purchases in monthly installments without a credit card. In our conversation, we go pretty abstract, trying to find a balance between work and recreation. We touch upon questions such as goal setting, finding joy in the process, understanding the different needs our ego and self demand of us, and how to even consider these seemingly unimportant ideas in contrast to the concerns of those less fortunate than we. Cool. I mean, first of all, congrats on all the success you're seeing with Atrato. It's really awesome. <laughs> I love I love watching it. Thank you. Yesterday was demo day. Well, alumni demo day. So that was also a cool experience. Something different, you know? Yeah, in which way? So we had another demo day about a year ago with another uh, kind of like acceleration program, which was more local here in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And uh, for starters, that demo day was like five minutes, I think, or maybe six, something like that. On alumni demo day, it was like one minute. So you've got to be way quicker to explain how, like, why you're, like, your company's, it's cool, right? Yeah, can so, you give me that one-minute pitch? I can't. I can't. <laughs> Too much stress. No, no. The thing is, so whenever you're fundraising, you divide responsibilities, right? Because mm -hmm. you don't want, you don't want your company to just go to, kind of go crazy because mm -hmm. there's no one running it. Mm -hmm. So... What you do is you assign one person to be kind of like the fundraising master, usually the CEO. And uh, in our case, it was Roger. I don't know if you, oh, you've met Roger, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so he's the one that's been in charge with everything. And the only thing he does is whenever we're gonna take a deal, he needs to come back and explain to us like how everything happened and then keep going so that Alex and I, we can keep the company running, right? Because usually what happens is like fundraising is such a difficult time and at the same time it's so distracting that you kind of like lose the sense of what you're trying to do for 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 that does that make sense yeah so by by kind of dividing the tasks of you you're able to focus in on running the running the product and the day-to-day -day of the business whereas roger is able to go and fundraise yeah 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 because it is really distracting actually <laughs> Like you, you don't want to be fundraising. Everyone thinks that's the fun part. Like, oh, I want to raise money and then my, my company will be in the headlines and, and stuff. And it, it is cool. But if you lose yourself into that game, then you're not doing what's important, which, which is the product, right? Because you need to have a good product in order to get more money and all that kind of stuff. So not as easy whenever you're like doing it 24-7. And it's God. also like emotionally, it's really intense. Like I wasn't the one going to meetings, but I really felt it. Like for me, it was um yeah, I was just hard. Cause because you're when you're fundraising, the success of your company doesn't depend on the product. So so usually you would track your product, right? And for example, we've been growing 45% uh, per month, our GMB. So you know that's a good number. But whenever you're fundraising, you're not measuring success to how good is your company doing. You're measuring it against how, what's the opinion of people about your company. Mm -hmm. So it is really stressful because you can't really control it, right? So you do your best have your company on the best shape so you can sell it correctly but then at the same time they're just there's some times in which investors they just don't really invest on what you're doing they don't invest on fintech or maybe they don't do kind of like latam uh 
companies and they'll be like no and it's so hard to get no's because is you you do ask yourself like is my company doing wrong mm -hmm. am i am i being like biased to think that we're doing good when we're actually not and and kind of like this game to keeping yourself motivated about my company's good enough and it deserves to get funded and then at the same time being like getting attacked by everyone about why your company could not be the best one right yeah that that makes me think like uh, there's definitely a correlation there with how we go about our personal lives too where if if let's say we're on the market to we're dating um and we we look at ourselves we try and compare ourselves to either other people or how people are responding to us or how many people swipe right on us or any kind of metric <laughs> from, from other people, it can really be defeating because our ego is dependent on that or our self of, or our self worth is dependent on the external feedback. So. I think that's even harder, you know, because there you don't have like really, how could you track how good are you? Like it's, it's, how, how I've grown, I've grown as up? an individual 15% over the past four months. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like, because everything when it's personal is more about your opinion and stuff. And the only thing that is kind of like the same for everyone, it's kind of like money, you know? So that's you, I feel that's one of the small things that is actually kind of like normalized like yeah. everyone needs money and, and and has some money and but then that's not kind of like important you know or it's maybe not reliable on on how good or bad a person is but then again even good and bad that's totally biased to kind of like your own morale and and how ethic you are with some stuff do you think that we use money as that metric because it's the simplest metric and it's the most it's most widely applicable? I mean, just just think about like whenever you're talking on, on so what are the ratings, right? How do you rate people? And you know, you we like around humanity, you do measure success with money. That's like the billionaires list, right? Forbes millionaire list. What other types of lists do you know? So I think we do have other types of lists, but they're not as clear cut like that. So like the fact that everybody knows Gandhi's name and we can debate whether how good of a person Gandhi actually was, but the fact that we know his name means that he's on some sort of list. Um, yeah. but, but that list is, is very vague. Like you couldn't clearly define what that list is. It's more retrospective than it is introspective. And it's really hard. It's really hard to say. And then again, like, also money-wise, it's also really hard to say if that was a success of one person or not, because a lot of people on the billionaire list, they've just been growing that for a lot of generations. And then you got people like Elon Musk, that he created his own wealth basically from scratch in one lifetime. So I don't know. I've been reading I've been reading a new a new book, which is called Naked Statistics. It actually talks about how hard it is to create kind of like an index to know who's the best and how like it's it's never gonna take everything in, into consideration. But then you do need something to make it easier, right? For example, kind of like, you know, how in, in, in like NFL, they got a quarterback rating, right? And obviously that doesn't explain the whole story, but you do need something that tells you how good that player was, right? And then that's how you create a rating of the best quarterbacks of the season. So you just take those ratings and, and kind of like those indexes and you see okay, this, 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 and that, and maybe at some point it doesn't make sense, but it's as close as you can get to, to being on, on point with your objective. 
do you have some sort of metric and rating system for yourself? Not, not numerical, I guess. So I did this cool thing. Well, I think it's cool. Kind of, I guess most of my things are, are really nerdy at some point. Or, or, so for the whole last year, I've been keeping track of my weekly goals, right? And then at the end of the year, I just saw how many goals did I uh, accomplish, right? And I think it was something around 70% of the goals were accomplished. So now, now this year, I want to do a little bit more than that, you know? Mm -hmm. And how do you choose? So how do you decide on a goal and what is a valuable goal and what's a worthwhile goal to allocate time towards? I think that's hard. So the way my system works, and maybe it's not the best one, but um, so at the beginning of the year, I created this kind of like vague goals for the end of the year. And then every quarter, I create goals that I think are going to be important for that quarter, but also kind of correlate for my end goal of the year. And then I do the same for every month. And then I do the same for every week. So when I'm creating like my weekly goals, I keep these kind of like present time goal system. But at the end of the day, I'm also thinking on the monthly goals, which reflect the quarter goals, which reflect the yearly goals, right? So I'm trying to keep this like short distance, long distance uh, kind of like site to make those goals. Some some weeks it's just like okay, I've been I haven't been sleeping sleeping well, so this week my goal is going to be sleep wet, sleep better, right? So it's a balance of of maintaining long term goals and then building short term goals to fulfill those long term goals, but then also being dynamic and flexible with them for for the moment if if something else comes up or if you feel like you need something else in the moment. Yeah. How do you, how do you create your goals? Like whenever you're thinking about goals, how do you choose them? I, I don't have a clear system actually. Definitely not as clear as it seems you have. Uh, I use a lot of like scenario building in my own head and thinking about what would be a lifestyle or a place I'd like to be in um, where I try and like pretend I accomplished a specific goal and how I might respond to that. Yeah. And, and I know though those are very one or two dimensional. They don't really account for all the different, the nuances. And it's actually something I do want to dive into with you because we spoke about last time and how you sort of felt that once you raised money with Adrato, or you kind of accomplished a goal that was yours for so long and it was almost defeating instead of the opposite, which is what you yeah. expect. So yeah, I'd love if we can dive back into that. And when we meet our goals, and then that are extremely important to us. And then if we don't quite feel the response that we expected, how to kind of confront that and deal with that and what your thoughts are and what your learnings have been. And I think that's like, that's a hard thing in life, right? Like, so you've got to stay happy with the everyday process, but not as happy, like to just be comfortable with what you have. I mean, Okay, no, that doesn't sound right. Like maybe like on the other end, like you need to be comfortable with what you have, but always be wanting more. So what happens is, I don't really know, man. <laughs> like, no. Yeah, I think you need to kind of like reflect on what you're doing every day and make sure that makes you happy. But then on the long run, just being sure that you're not staying in the same place. But I guess that's really kind of like a personal way of seeing it. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, I, I want to be better every time. And, and we talked about this last time, like, hey, okay, so my goal is to be better. But kind of like overall, if I, if I can be better on my personal life, if I can be better on my kind of like uh, professional life, but just don't stay in the same place, but then you end up going into this kind of like not so good experience in which you're really looking always on what's next. 
but not enjoying what's happening at the moment. I was thinking I about know. that the other day. I was sitting outside and I'm thinking a lot because I'm interviewing and because I'm kind of in a very flexible place in life. I don't have a very set schedule every day and I don't have very clearly defined goals, just have very abstract goals. And I'm sitting outside and I'm in El Paso laying down in a hammock with not a care in the world. But yet I'm still feeling stressed out about something. I'm feeling like I need to be doing something else. I'm thinking about where I'll be next or what I'm going to do next, what I'm going to try and accomplish next. And, uh, and I looked at myself internally. And I'm like, dude, you're in the moment. You're in a moment that in the past you would have strived for and would have felt anxious for and would have wanted. Yet you're not living it as you would have wanted to. And it's a really hard balance to, to, have, to find because... If I had, if I just lay in the hammock every day enjoying the moment, then that'll work until it doesn't, and then I'll be stuck, right? And if I'd never put in, then I'll be stuck. And if I'd never put in the work, if I never had the drive and put in the work to to learn how to code or to uh, get the jobs that I've had in the past or to give myself the history and the experiences that I've had, it would be it would be much harder in the current moment moment and in the future moment to accomplish more and to do more when I want it. So it's really hard to find that balance of being fully alive and present with your current experience, but also assisting your future self in having more of those experiences. I'm trying, I'm trying to remember something I read, which, which talked about like, like that. Cause I mean, it was more kind of like in the financial aspect in which it, it said like somewhere around you're always, you always need to leave like you were going to leave a hundred years, but also at the same time, like you were going to die tomorrow. So that, that is a hard thing on balance because it's like, uh, like, just like you said, like I'm living the moment right now and I'm really enjoying myself. And I'm like, for example, for me, you've been traveling a lot. And that's something I really want to do, right? But then at the same time, I'm, I'm thinking on my 100 years old, uh, Juan, who's going to be like, okay, man, I need to accomplish something today so that when I'm older, I can, I can uh, kind of like just relax. But then again, why don't I relax right now? Because I don't know if I'm going to get there. I think that point right there is actually the very center of that internal conflict, at least for myself. It's why work towards a future when I can live that future in the moment? Yeah, and especially this year, like it has just taught everyone like life is so weird. Like everyone had plans for last year. Everyone wanted to travel. Everyone wanted to do some stuff. But then just something so microscopic came into our lives and literally just kind of like switch the whole year for, for, for good. Like just for everyone, it's, 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 it was different, you know? I think what you, were, you mentioned before about the process, and I think that might be a nice nice way to think about it, which is to really enjoy the process. It's if we try too hard to get ourselves into a position of experience, we're going to probably disappoint ourselves. If we need to have X amount of money to be happy, or we need to be in a current, in a, in a certain place to be happy, or if we need to have accomplished a certain thing to be happy or to enjoy life, then we're probably setting ourselves up for failure and disappointment. But if it's the process of accomplishing those things or trying to get those things working towards those things if it's that process that we like then we're bound for success yeah i think you define it really nice there but so, then something that i also found hard is it's really hard to stay present on what you're doing and really knowing if you're happy with it because sometimes, like, life is 
like always keeps moving, right? And and you you don't really think about what you're doing until you kind of like just explode. You know, you can be on a terrible position for like six months, and you're not gonna think like, am I doing what I like? Am I enjoying the process? Until it just gets to a point in which you explode and you realize like, hey, I I just hate it here. Like I don't want to do this anymore. And but then there's there should be things that you like, you know. And I think I've been I've been hearing a lot from people in university. Like all my friends are still in university because you know I dropped out. So mm-hmm. and and they're still there, and everyone's just so tired that like. They're just, I just want to end up this. Like, I, I want to finish. Like, I, I'm done with university. I just want to get my degree and then that's it. Mm-hmm. As if getting the degree is what's going to make them feel reinvigorated and excited about life again. Yeah, when it's, when they just, maybe they just want to change something, right? Like their routine, they just want to make their routine different. And there, sh- there should be different ways to enjoy it. I mean, it's, it's probably silly to think that we can enjoy everything in life because I don't think like there's just things that you're not going to enjoy, right? But if you're constantly asking yourself like, hey, am I enjoying this? And if the question keeps being no, like if the answer keeps being no for too too many days, maybe instead of thinking like, oh, I'm going to quit completely, think how can you change that into being a yes Maybe it's just like, oh, you know, I'm not enjoying this because I don't get time to spend with my family. Okay, then try to make some time so that it kind of like evens out, you know? You know, Steve Jobs said that. I, I don't remember the quote verbatim, but he, he said along those lines that every day he wakes up and looks in the mirror and says, if today were my last or, or something along those lines, would I be happy with the way I've been spending my time? And he says, if he's found that for too many days in a row, the answer is no, then he needs to make some sort of change. Yeah, but that's the thing. We usually don't take the time to reflect on that. And it's really hard to take that time because we always think we don't have time. You know. I've been listening to this book. I just finished it, actually. It's called Ikigai. Uh, the Japanese wisdom of a long life, a long, happy life, something along those lines. Um, and what, there was a few th- common themes across the book, but it was essentially a case study on this. I think they're called the, they're called the Blue Islands, the Blue Zone in Japan, where they have historically the long, or at least recorded, the longest living and also simultaneously happiest people in the world. So they do a lot of studies there. And there are a few things that are surprising. Like for one, 100% of the participants in the study who lived past 100 years old had a garden. They grew their own fruits and vegetables. And like there was some absurd, absurd amount that also like when they asked them and interviewed them, what is the secret to a long, happy life? They answered such simple things like spending good time with friends or finding purpose in your everyday. And they're, so, they're all cliches and they're things that we repeat to ourselves and to others all the time. And yet we ignore it and don't follow that advice when it's, at least to, to most of us, it seems like it's obvious that that is the way to live in the moment, at least, and compoundedly, a compoundedly a healthy, happy, and potentially long life. But how, how can you kind of like force yourself to think about it i think that we we have an interesting scenario where we're, we live in a world that is super super growth oriented and innovation oriented and those not necessarily are in direct conflict but they don't work they don't play super nicely with that because to live a, a slow happy long life according to at least this research is to to do things in a more personally meaningful way not about large impact it's not about how many people you affect it's about growing your own little garden and eating your own vegetables that takes a lot of time and effort that we don't want to put into because when we could why why would we grow our own garden putting in five hours a day 
when we could be putting those five hours into building a multi-million dollar company, uh, impacting potentially impacting millions of people. And it's not to necessarily say one is greater, greater than the other or one has more value than the other, but I think it's worth recognizing that there could be value in the simplicity of a, another way of life. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it also comes back to what did you enjoy, right? Did you enjoy making your own garden or do you enjoy like being a successful CEO? But how do you know which one do you truly enjoy and which one is just a matter of, oh, I want to have money, I want to have power. I think there should be some sort of framework. I'll say for myself, I have an internal internal dilemma i know okay so i have my ego which wants money and influence and power and all that right and then i have my self or my soul or i don't know how we can define it but myself that wants serenity and authenticity and it wants a, a calm and peaceful life and it wants very simple things so it's got i've got this kind of this internal war almost at all times <laughs> not necessarily always recognizable like i'm not always aware of it but it seems to always be there and it, it seems like it feels like a very natural human experience but i think that part of what serves that ego and what's the fuel to that ego is a lot of external social ideas so culture societal expectations what your friends are talking about, what your friends are thinking, what you're reading on the news, what you're seeing on the forums. And then there's that other side, the self, which wants more of a, could be very happy living in a cabin in the woods the rest of his life. And that seems to come strictly from the internal experiences and from the things that I found that make me feel most at calm with myself and at peace with life and excited by things. And there are oftentimes things like going on a hike with friends, uh, learning a new piece of information. And these are what work for me. And for everybody, they have their own things, I'm sure. For somebody, it could be gardening. For somebody, it could be surfing. I don't, I don't know. But I think that could be a good and interesting way to try and figure it out, is to look at, ask what parts of your experience and the things that you strive for are self-serving and what parts of them are more ego-serving. I think that's really nice. Like being so honest with yourself. I think that's hard because it happens to me too. Like, hey, why do I want to be successful, right? Do I want to do it? Because I, uh, I don't know. Because for me, having money is going to make me feel safe at some point. Is it because I want to show everyone that told me I couldn't do some stuff that I, I, I really can? And I think it's not like a simple answer. It, it, it can't be just one thing, right? Obviously, at some point, you're going to think of something that's going to motivate you to do some stuff, right? But at the end of the day, why are you, why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah, I think it's also important to not ignore any of it. So I would never want to ignore the ego because I don't think that would help. I think it's important to have an understanding to start and then to, when finding parts of your self or your ego that aren't beneficial or aren't serving you in a positive way or a helpful way for whatever that metric might be. Like if you're, if you want to have serenity or if you want to have joy or if you want to have peace or you want to have chaos i mean however you're optimizing your life but if you ask yourself what how is this need or desire serving my ultimate goal in the same way that you set your long-term goals and then your short-term goals you can i think there's a similar way how you can approach your own your own life and so my long-term goal is to at 90 years old how do i want to have felt about my life do i want to have felt that I proved all my haters wrong? Do I wanna have felt that I accomplished all the things that society told me that I should accomplish? Or do I wanna have felt that that was a heck of a journey? That was a heck of a time. 
and laugh at like some of the experiences I've had and cry at some of the other ones. And I want to have both. I think I want to have both. I want to feel like, damn, I did, I personally accomplished and had an impact while living a really meaningful life personally, like a personally meaningful life. And that I think is a really tough balance to find because we don't, we're not oftentimes fed. It's hard to find a, a book that'll teach you how to do both. They're oftentimes telling you, you got to live, you got to hustle, you got to work harder, you have to accomplish more. Or the other book, which is you have to relax more, you have to calm down, you have to grow more gardens. I think it's, it's because it would be something you wouldn't follow. Because what would I, like, what would that book say? It would just contradict itself every chapter. It would be like, think about what makes you happy. But then next chapter will be, you're going to do things that are not going to make you happy. So how would you, how would you put that into the, and I think that's, so you know how I was reading, I think it was a book called Untethered Solid. I'm not, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but um, it explains how kind of like the only way to actually be calm with yourself and or at least maybe that's how i understand it it's to be keeping a balance right so there's like this external motivation that you're talking about and then there's these internal motivations and the only way to be fully happy with yourself is to be right in the middle like you you do need to and maybe until some point it's also kind of like rewarding and making you happy to be someone successful or at least at some level at some degree of success and then at the same time you need to be internal motivated by being with your friends and 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 being with your family and and being able to kind of reflect on yourself you know yeah that does that does sound exactly up my alley what was the book called untethered soul yeah. Yeah. The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I see. It's that. actually really cool. It also it also talks about like who are you, right? Because whenever you like you said right now, I'm I'm aware that I have this ego that wants to be successful so that I can have power and and, and whatever. And I also know that I I can be like happy with myself, but then who are you, right? Because you're not this and you're not that. You're the guy that's reflecting on both kind of personalities. So who's your true self, mm. right? And how do you keep yourself being like a mixture of both? So I think that that's a really, really good point. Who is the true self? Is the, tr is the true Yosef or the true Juan the ego or the whatever this other self is, I, I, let's just call it the soul because it seems like a catch-all phrase. And, and I, I think maybe there's, maybe what we're tapping in on is a state of mind. So where if you know the, the state of flow, right? You can get, when you're working yeah. and you're really into it, you can get to the state of flow and you enter a space where you're, you're not really observing yourself. You're more just being yourself. So that is a, a scenario where you are just, the self. Um, in this conversation, we're super meta and we're observing our own thoughts and observing our own behaviors and our own ego and soul. So we're in a state of mind of observation. But I think that we do use our ego and our soul to, to do that observation, or we are at least doing so on the ego and the soul. Um, I don't know if necessarily it means that it's a, a third entity. It just could be a state of like that's, I think, what conscious, what makes consciousness so powerful is that it's able to observe itself. It's a, whatever that means. I think there's been a lot of, <laughs> a lot of work done into understanding consciousness, and we're not going to figure it out in this call. But yeah, that's a very interesting point. I, I kind of feel, and maybe I'm generalizing, but I think external motivators are more like triggers. And then internal is kind of like that field that keeps you going like further 
or like long run. Like, cause I know it's motivating. Like, if someone says you can't do something, you that like that's gonna make you start doing it. But then, what makes you continue doing it in the long run? And that's something that we've talked in in kind of like in YC and. So they say like, everyone, it's okay, right? It's okay to start a business because you want money. Totally normal, right? But that's only going to get you until some point. After that, you, you kind of like need to find internal motivation on some other stuff. Because if not, it's going to be really hard to keep going. Because mm-hmm. things just get like way harder. If you're, if you're like, kind of like, growing exponentially, it makes sense that things like just go harder exponentially, right? So what's going to keep you on the long run? And if you think like, oh, money, yeah, it's fine. But kind of like after a series A, you're going to have enough money. So that motivation is going to kind of like die out. But what if what you like is working with your team, right? Working with your co-founders. That's something you're really going to enjoy, and that's something that's going to keep you going. And for example, for me, it, it, it really started with, I want to build something cool because I want that kind of like money and also that uh, people saying like, oh, he's doing something cool. You know, like, oh, he's, 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 he's fine, right? But then it slowly shifted into, I just really like working with the people I work with, you know? And you start, you stop thinking about, it, like at the beginning it was so hard to keep working. Cause I was like, oh, I need to finish this so that we can raise this and then get that. But now it's about, I'm enjoying what I'm doing because I know what I'm, I'm helping with, it's not myself, but it's all the people that surround me. So it became and, more about the process and less so about the end goal. Exactly, exactly. And it's hard. It's hard to say because whenever you've, you haven't done it, like, it's the same, it's the same I think, with kind of like people that are successful and say like, oh, you don't need money. I think at some degree, like you do need money. And then people say like, it's really easy for you to say it because you're already there, right? But I, I think at some point in the process, you realize that like your motivation does change and you, and you start thinking the other way. And maybe it's a learning that if you don't live it, it's really hard for someone to tell you, oh, this is the way it is. And then you just get it, right? It's not going to happen. So you need to leave it and then after that, you're going to actually get it and, and kind of like start living differently. Yeah, I, I think about how relative all of these things are. Like, like you're mentioning how once you have money, it's easy to say that money is not important. But when you don't have money, it's, it's extremely hard to say that. And there's definitely a line, like a threshold where that becomes, where that becomes more and more important or less important. Um, and it, it's always so... So it's actually a really tough point for me. So for example, like yesterday walking across the border and seeing children begging for money, just a few feet across an arbitrary line, that wouldn't be possible. So in El Paso, that's, that doesn't happen. You don't have children begging for money in the streets. But a few feet across an arbitrary line into Mexico, I did see that. And that's not all. And I don't want to make it sound like that's all that there was there, but it's just something that stood out and is relevant to the conversation. But seeing that, it, it makes it makes it so hard for me to actually consider the the troubles that I have as anything, as anything at all. Like, I really, I, I couldn't, like, you couldn't sit, you couldn't walk there and then con- continue thinking, like, how am I going to find my passion in life? Like, are you serious, dude? <laughs> is that really important? And of course it is important because problems are relative and our we are configured, like we are pre-configured to constantly strive and, and work towards and to be uncomfortable and to try new things and to want more um, and to accomplish more. That's just, I think, our, our nature. But I 
also think using those kind of experiences of, of seeing other people's circumstances and also recognizing that it might not be as important. It might not be as important as you're leading yourself to believe. I think it, just like you said, you can't say money is not important. I'm, I'm trying to find a tweet here. I think, I think it, I think it was something Dan Price tweeted, which says like, don't say money is not important. When like, if someone is in poverty, just having enough to eat, it's gonna make your life a hundred times better or, or even like, but that's the thing. Like once you cover some stuff, it's not gonna, I don't know. Yeah. No, there's definitely the point where if you don't have, that's the thing. If you have no, if you don't eat, if you don't have, if you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, then you can't put your mental attention anywhere else. Like that's where you have to focus. And that's why it's so like as a person who is fairly capable in my abilities, I don't worry about ever where I don't ever worry where I'm going to get my next meal because I, I know that I can figure it out. But I also understand that there might be someone with equal technical or like maybe they have equal capabilities but they're in a situation where they're not surrounded by the comfort that I am and just not having the knowledge of where the next meal will come from will prevent them from being able to accomplish the things that I think they should be able to accomplish exactly I, I just found it it like that the tweet says stop saying money doesn't buy happiness and it says uh, a person making 100k won't be happier getting 110k but lifting someone out of poverty is the most effective antidepressant in the world and i think it goes back into what you're saying it's kind of like the freedom of your mind right if you don't know what you're gonna eat next you're just gonna be thinking on how can i get my next meal but then if you got that cover your mind can start jumping into how are you going to be happy? Like, dude, like, just like what we're doing right now, you're not thinking about what, what are you going to do next? Like, how are you going to survive the next week or the next month? You just say like, okay, I'm fine. Like, I'm not, I'm okay. So you got time to think, okay, what's, what's really what makes me happy and what gets me going every day, you know? All right. Switching off of this, I mean, still in this topic and it's a little bit it's a hard topic to talk about so we'll we can see if we, we'll try but i wonder this sometimes from kind of a more removed state of mind when i see situations like children begging for food or trying to sell stuff on the street or or just a homeless person in el paso i a very strong a very strong part of me wants to help and wants to give and wants to assist this person i feel a lot of empathy towards them and then the like more removed part of me, the more philosophical or like Darwinistic side of me wonders what level of impact or, in, or involvement should I as a person have? Um, and I don't want it to sound like, again, I, I still have the empathy and I still want to help, but I also challenge myself and ask, A, is the help that I'm providing actually helpful? So by giving a dollar or $2 or something, is that actually helpful? I think buying a meal is a better way to help, but also that. And B, am I perpetuating a system or am I solving? A, sorry, am I perpetuating a problem or am I solving a problem? I gotcha. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a conclusion or it's just a, something that comes up or I think about sometimes. I'm wondering if you've ever thought something similar or have any thoughts on it. I have, because, <coughs> sorry, I think I ask myself a lot, because here I, I leave that every day, kind of like whenever I'm driving, I see people asking for money. And I'm thinking like, okay, what if I every day give them, I don't know, 50 pesos, which is kind of like two dollars, something like that, right? Are you actually gonna make their lives better? Is like, is that money 
better in that way or should you try to build something bigger and i always get this kind of like struggle in myself and i hope this doesn't sound wrong but yeah i think it's not nice but i think okay two dollars a day that might be like sixty dollars per month can I do something better with that money that's going to impact them on the long run instead of just giving them to them? But then I think, why can I think, why, why do I feel like I can use that money more wisely than them? You know? Yeah. And that always kills my vibe because... So I just feel bad either way. Like if I give them money, I'm like, ah, oh, what can I do better so that I can help them more? And then if I don't, I'm like, why do I feel entitled to decide on what's better for them? You it's know? a real vibe killer. I don't, I don't know. And then to make it even more complicated, like what if you weren't able, even if you figure out a way to fix a system, but it wouldn't directly impact that individual on the street, but it might impact you know, the next generation of people in the street. Now, is that still the right thing, decision to make? What if it'll impact more people, but exclude that individual? So it can impact 10 people down the road, but not this one person. And I think that's like, that's what happens with education. And I've, I've thought like, so something that happens here in Mexico is that we tend to not think on the long run. And that really kind of like makes me angry because I do feel if we thought on the long run, we could be better, we could be doing better. But then again, I understand why people don't think on the long run. So it happened that there were two candidates running for president, right? And one of them said, I'm going to give everyone, I don't know, uh, 50 bucks and the, then the other one said, that doesn't make sense because you're spending money just to give everyone money. We should spend that on the education and that's going to make their lives better. And guess who won? The one that was going to give everyone 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. And that, it makes me mad because I can, I can think like, hey, like if we invest on this, our country on the long run is going to be way better and it's going to be less poverty because people are going to be educated enough to kind of like start doing better stuff. But then, and it's really hard to put yourself on the, on the place of someone that's starving. And if they're saying like, you're going to get 50 bucks and that's going to get, like give you food for the next, I don't know, maybe, like maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks. Obviously you're not going to think in the long run. So what kind of like, where's the balance there? Yeah. Like do 50, 50 or, or, or is it worth it to think more on the society level and thinking about how are we all going to be better than just thinking on yourself? I think this is one of the toughest problems with our, with the kind of, economic divide and, and social, like mostly socioeconomic divides that we have is trying to balance, understand your own relationship with the other, the other side of the spectrum um, and like feeling morally okay with it. And it's, I don't think we do. I think most people really struggle with it and it comes down to either ignoring it, being very active and trying to solve it <laughs> or feeling uncertain, I think as we do. About how to interact with it. On that long, long-term thinking note, though, I think that is a really important point. Um, there's this foundation called the Long Now Foundation that is trying to yeah. the Long Now Foundation. It's a lot of people that you that you'll recognize are involved. I mean, from Jeff Bezos to Warren Buffett, I believe, to Shane Parrish, maybe I don't remember actually, uh, but. Um, the guy who founded Stripe, Colson, he's involved. One of their projects is to build a clock in the desert in the middle of the Sierra Mountains or something that clicks once every year, ticks once every year, so one second a year. And the idea is really just to promote long-term thinking. So they have another thing, which is they have a platform where you can place bets, long-term bets, like 10-year minimum bets. 
And there was a bet between a hedge fund manager and Warren Buffett, I think started in 2002 or so, that which would outperform, like would the index outperform individual um, mutual funds or something like that. And it's just cool to see that there are being, there are initiatives being put into place to think long-term, but it's also very obvious that the people doing that are some of the wealthiest and most successful people on the planet. And that the average person doesn't have, not only do we not have the interest, but we don't have the capacity, not we, but the average person doesn't have the capacity to think 10 years from now, who the hell cares where our education will be in 10 years from now, if I don't know how I'm going to eat tomorrow. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it's not rational and you can't have that expectation. But at the same time, you understand that if you want the lives of your children and their children to be better, then you need to think in the long-term and invest in the long-term. Yeah, but I think also that something that also kills it, it's the uncertainty of what's gonna work on the long-term. Because for example, Usually our, our parents, they think college degree is one of, is what's gonna give you security on the long run, right? And that's why they invest a lot of money on kind of like, well, at least here in Mexico, kind of like good private education so that you, so that you have some good degree and, and you got some good connections and stuff, right? But then what if you, spend it that money differently so here like a good college education would be like i don't know a million pesos like 50k something like that right so what could you do differently with that money that's going to make your children more successful or less less averse of the risk you know I think that's also something like, what are you looking for? Like a high return or some safe bet? So I wonder exploring that idea, what are you looking for a high return or a safe bet? And I'm curious what makes some people choose one over the other? How do people find that balance? Cause I believe I have a pretty high risk tolerance and I will do things optimizing for high return over safe bet. But I recognize that it's my, first of all, my, my the comfort of my own life that allows me to have that. Like I do know that I can always find food and find shelter and find support. So that definitely contributes to that. But there are also, I think, natural personality traits that contribute to it, that at least allow me to pursue those those risks that opened me up to even seeing them. So it's definitely a mix of nature and nurture and, and as well as uh, economic class and culture. So I'm wondering for you, what, what kind of, what parts of your familial and cultural upbringing do you recognize in yourself that have gotten you to where you are today? I would say there's like two, two main things that has gotten me where I'm at right now. So the first one is thinking that you can do anything if you put enough effort to it. And I'm not saying like, oh, you could be successful. I don't know, like you can change yourself, like you're really flexible to become whatever you want, right? And that allows me to think like, okay, I have a new problem. I, I need to think how to solve it, learn how to solve it and then do it, right? So it, it keeps me like, no way I can. But then at the same time, thinking that it's not okay to stay where I am. Because I see a lot of people saying like, oh, I'm lazy, but that's just who I am, right? Or I, I'm, I, I'm doing something wrong, but that's just how I, I am. So the combination of those two makes me think like, okay, I'm wrong on this and I know I can change it and I know I'm not supposed to stay on the wrong side. So let's move. 
those definitely are related, aren't they? That, that you're able, that it's not okay to stay stagnant and that you are capable of willing change into your own life. Certainly correlated. I think that's, that's something that 42 taught us. Like the, you can do everything you want. I mean, we live in a place in which I wouldn't say everyone can do everything they want. Is that not, that's not true. But now, like in this present society, it's way easier to just be able to do whatever because there's a lot more of opportunities just by like Google, you know? How do you learn something? Okay, just Google it, right? And then you, you, you'll get some basic understanding and you keep going. So probably a hundred years ago, if you said, oh, I want to become an astronaut, uh, well, I don't know if 100 years ago is a good time frame, but I don't know, like, yeah, I want to become an engineer or, or build some machine or something. It was way harder. How would you get the knowledge? How, where would you research? You will need to move somewhere. And especially, I think before, knowledge was being kept from like the masses. It was just for a few individuals, you know. Certainly. I also don't take for granted, I agree with all that, and I don't take for granted, though, all of the fundamentals and the experiences I've had that have, that allow me to continue to develop my, my knowledge. So, and to learn new things and to continually, like, be able to reach beyond my current scope of understanding or capabilities. And it becomes even more apparent when you look at, I was at Costco the other day and, and there was an older gentleman that was trying to order pizza. And there's all this touch, there's a touch screen computer that you have to order the pizza with. And he had to go to the counter and ask them to come out and help him place the order because he wasn't understanding how to do so. And it really makes me realize that there's so many things I take for granted that I know or that, I'm, that are intuitive to me or that I've had experience enough with that I'm like, yeah, anybody can use Google and figure out how to build a website. But no, that's not true because how many of my experiences have I had to had to lead me to the point where I am capable of doing that? And what circumstances did I need to be born into? When did I get my first computer? What, what was I reading as a kid? What was my education? There's so many things involved in building up our database of information, internal database of information and experiences that while yes, anybody can do anything and especially people with more information and higher education, it's a lot harder for some. I agree. <laughs> but just knowing that I think for yourself is, is what's most important. I don't think it's super it's good to recognize like we we're talking about before the kind of privilege you have and adva advantages you might have but internally for finding your own calm and for finding your own back to our, the initial part of our conversation i think it is important to recognize that you really can accomplish way more than you probably let yourself believe and you don't have to do the things that you believe you have to do all the time you know, there's the Not, not an easy, no. not an easy topic. No, no, not at all. I see a lot of people who put a lot of time and effort into their work or their school, and they seem so unhappy with it. But they also seem so chained by it, so handcuffed to it that they will change the things that they like about themselves and that they appreciate in life to better mold themselves into the, to the, the, their work or their schooling or whatever it is that they're doing that they, for some reason, believe that they need to fight through and change themselves around to fit into because it's more important than their own objectives and their own interests and cares. As if that there isn't a way to find a balance, as if there isn't a way to make enough money to live 
sustainably and with joy and passion. But like, also, you can't just do whatever you want. I don't think it's about doing whatever you want. See, and I think that's partially where this, why this perpetuates, is because we think of it as in extremes, as if it's you're either living like a hippie on the road in the middle of nowhere, doing whatever the heck you want with whoever the heck you want, or you're a nine to five worker just doing what your boss tells you for something you don't care about and you're like ultimately just moving digits around a screen all day to watch your bank account go up so you can do something like I don't think it's those like that has to be the extreme I also don't I also think we fetishize the idea of finding work that is your passion and then loving your work I also think that is not necessarily the goal it's okay to for work to be work I think it's not okay for you to for somebody in today's day, when we have access to so many alternatives, for somebody to change themselves and to change their interests and to like live a life that isn't good for them because they believe that they need to for some other person or, or job you, or career. Do you think you can, you can change your interest? Like, do you think you can do something that you don't like? and then like change it so that you like it if you find if you find joy in the process maybe if you could find some sort of element of the process that you appreciate um, i think it's more about subduing so i think we we do more of ignoring our our feelings than we do of changing them I don't know. Like, I think, I think you can find joy in almost everything if you figure out the right thing to be putting your consciousness on. Like, for example, I don't know. Like on on vacations, whenever whenever I go on vacations, I like to be in the guy that's just kind of like sleeping all day like like you said just just being on a hammock all day don't do anything and just think about whatever or just talk right and this happened to me i i went on vacations first first with uh i don't know if you know lorea my, my girlfriend but yeah lorea and then with my family right and in both situations they wanted to do stuff like they wanted to go to the dancing lessons. They wanted to go walk on the beach. They wanted to go into the swimming pool and, and stuff, right? And I really enjoyed just being there and not doing anything. But at the same time, whenever they wanted to do something, it, it, it took some energy for me to say, okay, let's do it. But I kept thinking like, I'm not doing it because I enjoy the thing we're doing but because i enjoy being with them you know mm -hmm. so i i actually enjoyed whatever we did not for the activity themselves because but because i was thinking on on i'm i'm having some good time mm -hmm. with my family i'm having some good time with my girlfriend and i think it's the same with like regular stuff hey can you come uh like, can, can you come for, can you come pick me up from the airport? I know for me, it's a one hour drive to the airport. It's going to be another hour drive back. So on, on the way there, I wasn't thinking like, oh, traffic and whatever. I was like, hey, I got an hour to listen to music. I got an hour to just, just be with myself mm -hmm. and, and not, not being on the, like on the job. And then on the way back, I was thinking, okay, I've got an hour to be just talking to someone, you know? So you start enjoying things that you wouldn't think about. I think that's a really, really good point of view, super healthy. And I want to end it on that because that's a great way to great <laughs> a great thought, great point to just meditate on for a bit. Finding joy in the process, even if there's no joy in the objective. It's, it's, 
easy to look on the kind of like on the bad side of everything. I don't know why. Maybe it's just how we're wired, but it's really simple to be mad. It's really simple to be annoyed, be stressed out. I don't know why. Just just think about how easy it is to make someone mad at you and then how hard it is to make them happy again with you. So maybe we just need to think differently, like 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 you said, just just don't think about like being conscious that you need to think about what's gonna make you happy and not what's gonna make you mad. Thank you, Juan. Lots of wisdom. <laughs> Man, thank you. I think it was nice. Really nice, yeah, I'd love to do this again. Yeah, so how does this work? So we're just gonna say goodbye and then you kind of like end up the recording and... It's a good question. I actually thought a little bit about it and I have yet to do any research as to how the official ending of a podcast episode is supposed to go from listening. It's always like, thank you. And then there's a goodbye and then it cuts out. I don't know if they continue the conversation like we are right now and they cut it out or if they actually hang up. Cause at times it sounds like it would be super awkward to just hang up. Like you just had a nice conversation with the guy and you know, you're, you're, you're getting along well, but your hour has come to an end. So what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I well, think we, we can say just thank you and, and, and goodbye. That'll be. All right. Thank you very much, Juan. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, if there were ideas that you found particularly interesting, if you disagree with any of the points brought up, I'd love to hear your feedback. Please either reach out to me directly through Anchor or on Twitter. You can find me by my name, Yosef Serkez, Y-O-S-E-F-S-E-R-K-E-Z. Thanks again. Until next time.